Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing eight healthy relationship boundaries. Boundaries are such a big part of our lives. I want you to know that we're going to be working on boundaries all of the days of our lives. They're hard. They're hard with ourselves. They're hard with other humans. This episode is about eight healthy relationship boundaries. There are an endless amount of ways that I could frame this type of boundaries work. Part of how we learn it is pushing our sleeves up and getting in there with this work because we're working on the relationship with ourselves just as much as the relationship with everybody else that's on this planet spinning around with us. So here's the first one that I have for you. Say no when you mean no. Doesn't that sound like the simplest thing in the world? I mean, when we can say no when we mean no, it also makes our yeses more potent too. For the people pleasers that are out there listening, this is one of the scariest things out there. And it's really necessary for us to learn. Its simplicity can be downright frightening. Just say no when you mean no. I can't count because it's in the hundreds of people that I've worked with who've laughed with me at a point saying some semblance of, am I really working with you because I need to simplify? And I laugh because, yeah, maybe. How would your life be if you really internalized and acted from this permission that I get to say no when I mean no, and I get to say yes when I want to say yes, and I get to negotiate in the middle. And it's all going to be a little bit messy, and it's all okay. Wouldn't that be freeing? Isn't that what you want? So many people who lean codependent, I, I know, like it's, it's in me. It's how I was raised. It's part of that Southern good girl upbringing I had. We're raised that good people just say yes and just take it and take it and take it. We make such strides for ourselves and we actually wind up having more energy for other people when we learn how to say no. This is very important in dating. This is very important in friendship. This is very important in our long-term committed relationships. It's even important with our, our bosses or our employees. Clarity brings more clarity, y'all. And I promise you, this is a skill. It's not something that falls out of the sky and you either know how to do boundaries or you don't. It really is a skill set. If this one resonates with you, I want to encourage you to just start with some permission to let yourself marinate in the idea. What if I learned how to be clearer with my yeses and clearer with my noes? What would happen to my life? What if over time that could get easier and easier for me? Because these are muscles, y'all. And just like going to the gym, if you've never gone before, if you've never worked out your muscles, 
one push-up is huge and doing 10 feels like flying to the moon impossible. But almost every single body, if it tries, if it works with it, could get to a place of doing those 10 push-ups, even if it needed to be modified. Number two, a boundary to keep in relationships is to maintain your own personhood within the merge. So any relationship really consists of a coming together, a yoking. Believe it or not, that's the meaning of the word yoga, to bring together, to yoke. So it's natural to merge. It's natural to become a bit like each other as we taste and sample and immerse ourselves in the interests, the ideas, the likes and dislikes of this other person that we're enamored with, whether it's in a friendship way or in a romantic way. We want to balance our own personhood within the merge. If we've grown up with a lot of dysfunction, a lot of chaos, maybe we have some abandonment wounds or we lean anxiously attached, sometimes we lose ourselves in the merge. We may even think that that's right. And if we're with somebody that takes a little bit too much power instead of a balanced power in the relationship, they might want you to merge into who they are in a way that's unfair to your personhood. Balance is a word, it's an idea, it's a mantra. It's a point that I can reach for when I'm lost. It's been big in my life and my work with others. We balance our personhood and our merging into a partnership or merging into a friendship. We want to maintain our own hobbies. We want to maintain our own interests. And even more than that, we want to still continue to find new hobbies and new interests. Because in human psychology, when we study this weirdness of this human condition that we are all experiencing, some days it might feel more like an affliction that we're all dealing with, healthy, happy people, they find new ways for life to delight them. They find new interests to explore, to expand on. As I've gotten older, I've gotten into plants, something my 22-year-old self didn't do couldn't do, didn't have the bandwidth to do, I was surviving. As we learn to put down survivorship and shift to thriving, it's essential that we add to our hobbies and our interests. It's essential for our grown-up selves. It's essential for our inner children. Me and my life, one of my truths is that I was surviving my childhood, which means I moved through hobbies and interests, but really Nobody's chilling out and getting deep into a hobby when they're surviving. So many of us survive by never having a hobby, never having an interest. It feels frivolous, maybe even dangerous to give our time and our attention. And for me, a lot of the time it was my finances, that I was working so hard to keep myself afloat, that I was scared that I would betray my finances if I allowed myself to have other interests. This is a natural fear when we're surviving, but one that can really run us down. It can make us weary for life. So for our own well-being and that of any kind of relationship that we're having, even the parent-to-child relationship, for those of you that are parents, to be an enriched person, we need those hobbies and interests. They're not frivolous. We are our own person and we're part of a relationship. And I want to make a note here. I'm working on some episodes about what I love about women. I know I've done men and I haven't done fair play for women. 
I've seen many women lose themselves in female friendships. Some females are quite powerful and quite dominating and are quite happy and content overpowering a female that will give their power to them. It's very important in these relationships, not just romantic ones, that you absolutely maintain your own personhood. Number three, no sweeping anything under the rug. Now, if that sounds like a hard line and a hard boundary, we need some of those in life. As a clear boundary, using simple and powerful language from prompts that I teach in the course, here's some good boundaries language for you to, to try on, to play with, to hear. Here's how we put this in boundaries format. I am willing to wait. I'm willing to sleep on it. I'm willing to look for help. I'm willing to do whatever, but I won't sweep anything important under the rug and just leave it there. Dysfunctional family dynamics Ooh, man, do they sweep dilemmas and conflicts and struggles under the rug? We say the elephant in the living room. Once there's that elephant in the living room that's making messes all over the place and it's getting swept under the rug, there can be whole families, whole systems that are trying to live life around this elephant, tripping over the rug, all kinds of stuff under that rug. Dysfunctional families have a kind of endless lore. If you're part of one, you'll resonate with what I mean. There's no end to what we might find out from distant family people that we might run into over a lifetime. Because in dysfunctional families, what's pretty universal, not completely, but pretty, is really poor communication, really poor transparency, Lots of control issues, even controlling of the narrative of the family. And all of that is wonky within dysfunction. And so one of the stories that I've heard, even though I've been no contact for a very long time, almost two decades with my mother, I've heard the story of what happened the very day within my family when I was 23 and I pressed charges against my adoptive dad for the sexual abuse that he perpetrated against me. And yes, I tried to get his other victims to jump on pressing charges with me. I think the first big court thing, whatever it was, I don't remember now, my family wanted me to go to dinner with them. They were really trying hard as I was trying to walk out of the courthouse to have this big scene of like, let's come together. And I, I just needed to get out of there. I needed to breathe. I needed some space. So I left with a boyfriend and I avoided the big old Catholic family scene that was coming after court. I was exhausted and zonked. So this distant relative went to the family piece of this at my mother's home. And she said to me that there were at least 20 people, maybe even as close to 30. I have a big old family. And they came together, but not one word was spoken about what was going on about maybe what needed to happen or help that needed to be found or gotten or resources or living arrangements. There was, there was absolutely not one word spoken. And I remember her telling me this, and I've done a lot of healing. If she'd have told me this, you know, a couple years after, I would have had a different reaction from a place of groundedness, of peace, of nervous system integration. I heard this and honestly kind of chuckled because it was just another validation 
Now, my family would tell you that's how they dealt with it. They came together. I'm here to say that families can be in a group kind of denial. They can decide in a way that is bizarrely, almost spookily unspoken that something's been dealt with when there is a mountain to unearth beneath that rug where the surface doesn't even get to begin to be scratched. If we want a healthy family system in the family that we're building, in the chosen family, in our friendships, we want to understand how important it is to deal with the truth of things now as they come or they pile up. They get swept under that rug until everyone in a family system is tripping over it. But in that same nature of the families that will cram stuff under the rug, who will ignore that elephant in the living room, the nature of this is to not really deal. And so these systems don't deal very well with people tripping over the rug, even as they're tripping over these family struggles. Instead of going, wow, we really need to get this elephant out of this living room. Or this rug is just a disaster area. We have got to get this smooth again so that none of us are tripping. Instead, what we hear is, oh my goodness, what's wrong with these shoes? Or I must be dizzy today. I've really got to eat something. Instead of there's an elephant in the living room and it's been taking shits for decades and we really need to clean this up and utilize a better system. So you get to decide in your life as a single person and as you relate to other people, are you going to be somebody that deals or denies, that pretends that that elephant isn't there, or just walks in and simply, there's simplicity again, y'all, goes, oh no, I am not trying to live with this elephant in the living room. You have this power. You really, really do. Number four, I just simply call this respect or self-removal. Now, look, you guys, we're humans. None of us are perfect. And if we're passionate humans, we're going to get passionate. Some of us might lose it. We might lose it and cry. We might lose it and get angry. This is very human. The goal of self-development is not to flatline and be completely neutral. Part of what makes life beautiful, part of what lets us know that we're thriving is that we can get animated and expressive and passionate. But it also means that pushed further, It's easy, too, for humans to lash out at each other, to get scary in their volume or their gesticulations, their movements. Environments can be very overstimulating. The last Patreon episode I released for our exclusive episode was about how overstimulating podcast movement was for me as a participant and while I was on stage as um, a panel presenter. Also, between humans, even very good, loving, loyal, healthy humans, we're not perfect people. We're all flawed. We're all fallible. So we're going to have moments of disrespectful interactions despite our best efforts. We need to understand this as part of taking care of ourselves as people moving through the world amongst other people. Respect or self-removal. So if something gets disrespectful, If something gets scary, if something gets too overwhelming or overstimulating to even be able to think or you start to become ungrounded, it's so okay to take a pause. It's also okay to take a full stop or anything in between taking a pause and a full stop. Now, I say respect or self-removal because 
what a lot of people will say and what a lot of people have had modeled in dysfunctional homes is control issues. And when something starts to get a little out of hand, what's likely to happen is we'll see somebody go, hey, that's getting out of hand. That's too much. You need to stop it. You need to leave the room. You need to get out of here. That's like an invitation for two animals to fight. And when our nervous systems start to get involved, when adrenaline starts to pump, lots of human beings like to conveniently forget that we're animals too. And just like we wouldn't go at a bear that way, I live in bear country now, so I got to think about these things. We don't want to go at other humans that way, even if we're in the right, even when they're in the wrong. Our power is in self-removal. Our boundaries are for ourselves. And when someone's volume, for lack of a better way for me to encompass everything that might happen, when someone's volume gets too high and it's too loud for you, you don't have to make somebody else turn down the volume. That's, that might be the volume that they like it. But you have every right to exit that room. And that can look like pushing away from a table and standing up and going to the bathroom for a few minutes. That can look like saying, I'm going to step outside and take a few breaths. This is too heated for me. Again, that, that wicked hard simplicity right there. Respect or self-removal. I once had a terrible conversation with a girlfriend who just ripped me a new one on the phone. And it was like I was stuck on the phone. Afterwards, some of my friends said, why didn't you just hang up on her? And I thought, I just got stuck in that moment. I think out of respect, I never want to be the person that just shuts somebody down or hangs up on somebody. But sometimes when someone's not listening, when you're getting attacked, sometimes the right thing to do is to just end it in the way that you can end it in a way that's healthy, that reduces intensity for all people involved, but mostly for ourselves. So it's a lesson I took from that moment when I thought, damn straight, why didn't I hang up this phone? So my respectful part sort of froze and was like, oh, so we have to find permissions to even break our own rules, like my phone hanging up on somebody rule. Respect or self-removal, you guys. Peaceful, grounded interactions or when we've hit our own limit, peaceful, easy, simple self-removal until you, the other person or all parties can be respectful again. Number five, respect and embrace difference. Now, this is one I could talk about in a lot of different ways. I am really upset with politics putting out there in the world that we're supposed to disrespect each other for our differences. I could not disagree more. And I do not like that immaturity, that low ego nastiness pumped into the minds of the population. When we respect and embrace difference, we respect and embrace ourselves, y'all. Now, I have worked with happy couples on opposite sides of all kinds of things, different sides of the political spectrum, meat eaters and vegans. Yep. Happily married. Super religious person, non-religious person. Even happy, healthy May-December romances sometimes. I've seen unhealthy ones, too. But difference is interesting. It's the spice of life. Difference, and I mean difference in all things, not just the easy things like, oh, you like comedies and I like um, horror movies. I mean the real nitty gritty differences amongst us, y'all. If we allow that to be interesting, then we're not threatened. We're not offended. It's not a threat. 
differences no threat to any of us when we bring maturity and respect and compassion and understanding. And I mean compassion and understanding of the difficult things, compassion and understanding of the things that we don't like, the things that will never be perfect, will never even be close to perfect. In our personal worlds, in our personal lives, in our interaction, and the the bigger world at large, we have a lot of conserving our energies to do for ourselves and for our relationships. I'm kind of sneaking in an extra one right now, y'all. I promise you this is a skill and a muscle too. If you have bought into difference should offend me, just look at how that's working for you. Because that's more likely to make somebody bitter and reactive and upset and depressed and disconnected than connected, healthily boundaried, respectful of self and others. Number six, we want to own our sides of the street and not anyone else's. This is a concept I've been working with since the very beginning of my career. And once I learned it, I have held on to it tightly because it just makes so much sense to me about how to conceptualize what happens when one or multiple people get together. So here I am, I'm Nikki, all in my Nikki zone in my Nikki personal space. And that's like my side of the street, me and my little personal space. So my body, but also the space around my body. And I mean that emotionally, physically, spiritually, this is my space, my side of the street. So when you walk up to hang out with me, you're coming to hang out with me with your side of the street. So I know where I start and stop. Ideally, I want you to know where you start and stop because that's where we know what's your responsibility and what's my responsibility. Now, the tricky part and why we work on boundaries And why there aren't simple solutions to boundaries, because every interaction is complex and multi-layered, present moment, past moment, hopes, expectations about the future, past psychological history and traumas and everything else, even your hydration level in the moment. I mean, so much plays in. But when two people get together or more, our sides of the street come together and they overlap. It's right there within that overlap that we go, "Uh uh-oh, now whose job is it? Am I supposed to manage your feelings? Are you supposed to manage mine? Is that my fault? Is it your fault? There's a piece of trash right there in the overlap. Who's going to do it? And we are doing this constantly, whether we know it or not. So owning our side of the street is very important for recovering codependence and highly sensitive people lean codependent because we overfunction when we're codependent. We overfunction for the other people in our lives. It's part of why we're so exhausted and tired. And so if everybody that shows up to hang with me, because not for anything sinister, maybe because they love me, maybe because they enjoy me, they want to hang out. They like spending time together for the most beautiful reasons in the world. But we still have overlap. And these are things that they're not rocket science, but these are the very things that nobody taught us in third grade and fifth grade and seventh grade and 10th grade and 12th grade. We didn't get taught these things very well. If we come from a dysfunctional family, we got taught some things that definitely don't work and are in the opposite direction of helpful and useful and calming and happy. So we want to understand this concept of owning our own side of the street and allowing other people to own theirs and understanding that right there in that overlap, that's where we have got to understand that our best bet is to get artful about how we negotiate within that overlap with ourselves and with other people. Number seven, 
sacrifice wisely and not destructively. Now, I use this language very intentionally, to sacrifice wisely and not destructively. Now, sacrifice is a big old word. It's a huge word. Nobody looks at a new relationship and goes, you know what I want? I cannot wait to get into this relationship just so I can sacrifice. Sign me up. Right? None of us want to sacrifice. We want to sacrifice as little as possible in every way possible. If I started a petition, I'm pretty sure that is maybe the one thing I could get all of humans to agree on. None of us want to sacrifice. But we all know, we've all heard it like a platitude, right? Relationships mean sacrifice sometimes. Again, a very important concept for codependent people, for recovering people pleasers, for recovering dysfunctional family childhoods, really need to understand. In my two marriages that ended in divorce, I sacrificed unwisely a lot. I thought that's what marriage was. I thought it's what being a good person and being a good wife and being a willing participant was. I didn't understand until I understood that I sacrificed me unwisely. And that was definitely destructive to me. Sacrifice is a big word. In healthy relationships, we sacrifice. We don't do it out of following the rules of what being a good person is supposed to be. We don't sacrifice so our partners or our friends don't get pissed off at us. When we are in healthy connection with someone, relationship, we sacrifice out of generosity, out of want, out of desire, and we do not resent. This sacrificial gesture is reasonably reciprocated, and we tend to trust in that reasonable reciprocation wherever it may come, whenever it may come. Recently, I sacrificed a backpacking trip to be with my husband at his grandmother's funeral. Now, if he didn't ever want to backpack with me ever again, just changed his mind, didn't like it anymore, I'd be sad. Yeah, and I might spend a little bit of time trying to talk him into it, finding out what he didn't like. I might work that a little bit. But if ultimately he didn't want to do that with me anymore, out of self-respect, I wouldn't sacrifice that for him. I wouldn't give it up because I love it. And I really love it. It recharges me. It revives my soul. It helps me be the better version of myself that I try to be and want to show up as for me and for anybody else interacting with me in this one precious life. I'd have to find another group of people to go backpack with. We want to sacrifice wisely and not destructively. And number eight, require resolution. Now, we can't require resolution right now this second. We don't get to just stomp our foot. My dog, Gusto, the standard poodle who's the mascot of this show, y'all, he is so demanding. He will stomp his foot if he does not get what he wants when he wants it. (laughs) When I say require resolution, I do not mean be demanding like Gusto. Requiring resolution, moving towards solution. It's about growing and moving forward as individuals and in any relationship and letting this idea be a guiding force. Now, some resolutions, some solutions in our lives may take years. Some may take a lifetime. This idea can be like a compass through the storms of life. 
Our upset often gets us lost. We lose course. We can come back again and again to the possibility of resolution, to its guiding light, like a lighthouse guiding us towards solution. It's a way to find direction in this one precious life, to walk our path with as much ease and light and solution instead of problem and darkness. If you like this episode and it resonated with you, I invite you to come learn more and sign up now before the early bird discount goes away to the 2023 Boundaries course. Come sign up now at emotionalbadass.com slash boundaries. The early bird code ends October 1st. You have less than a month to use the early bird code earlybird23 to save $100 off full price. If you'd like to explore our payment plan options, there are options for you if you want to take this course. Boundaries are muscles. And I promise you, the stronger that you get with your boundaries muscles, the easier it is to navigate through this world. These are strength training exercises that we can do to better our mental health, to better our peace, our groundedness, and to increase the healthiness in our relationship with ourselves and everybody else that we come into contact with, y'all. Light and love. I am an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets mindful. Light and love. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.